Well, this morning I have entitled the message, His Workmanship. And it's uh, interesting because the song we just sang talks about how we are chosen by God. And the truth is, is that's kind of what I want to talk about today is you've been chosen, you've been created by God for a specific plan and for a purpose. So let's go ahead and pray as we come to the word. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your great love. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for loving us and for choosing us. And I pray, Lord, as we look at your word today, that we'd all be encouraged, that we would leave here, Father, uh, just different than we came in, Lord. We never want to remain the same. We never want to remain stagnant. We always want to grow. And Father, today I pray that we'll leave here with a better understanding of who we are in you. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do you know it's a pretty incredible thing to be God's workmanship? Did you know that you're actually considered to be God's masterpiece? He's like an artist chiseling clay. I found this picture of an artist actually pounding into marble. And, and, and the truth is, is that each and every one of us were molded and created and shaped by God. We are his workmanship. The truth is, is that you right now are exactly as, as he intended you to be. He created you as he intended you to be. And the truth is, is he intended you to be. You're not just an accident. You're not just some cosmic uh, mistake. You're, you're, the truth is, is God made you. Not a perfect biological storm. Not, a, not a, a bunch of materials coming together from the cosmos to magically create life. But the truth is, is that God created you with a purpose. There was a plan. There was a design. And as we're going to see today, God knew you before you were even in your mother's womb. He had a plan for your life even before then, before you were born, before you were created. God had a plan for you. You're here for a purpose. The other thing about being God's workmanship or his masterpiece, that means that you're valuable. You guys know that you're valuable? When a craftsman, a master craftsman makes something, or when a master artist creates something, it has value. And we see that all the time in our society today. It has value because of a couple reasons. One, when a master craftsman makes something, it is the best that it can be. You know, if you wanted to have something made, like if you wanted to have a house built, you wouldn't come to me to build it. I could probably get the job done. Just might stand, not stand the test of time. But when a master craftsman comes together, like, have you guys ever seen a piece of furniture that was created by a master craftsman? I mean, there's pieces of furniture, wooden furniture, that's still alive today, that the only reason they're, they're degrading at all is because wood degrades, not because of the craftsmanship of what that stuff was built with. When a master craftsman makes something, it is beautiful. It is perfect. It stands the test of time. It's remarkable, and it's without flaw. And you were created by a master craftsman. The other reason that something that's created by a master craftsman or a master artist uh, has value is because of the person that created it. Have you guys ever looked at some of the pieces of art and went, how is that worth that kind of money? <laughs> like, could you imagine if I, I did a painting that looked like something Van Gogh did? Or who's the guy that, that does stuff that's got the ears like on their face and the nose on the side and the eye? Is that, uh, who's that? Dale. Dale. Could you, if I did something like that, I mean, I got, I got uh, uh, toddlers that make stuff that look like that. It's not worth anything. But because of his name, because of who created it, that art is valuable. And if you think about art, stuff that 
you wouldn't think it has any value because like I said, some of that stuff, I once saw a piece of artwork, it was just a white square with like a red square in it. And it was worth millions of dollars. But it's because of who made it. They're valuable beyond measure. So that means... If you think about it, we're created by the greatest master craftsman of all time. The fact that he made you means you're valuable. Beyond measure, beyond what you could ever imagine, whatever you could think about. But there are some, some things that you have to understand about being uh, a master craftsman's workmanship. First thing is that means that we're at the mercy of the one who created us. That means that he creates us how he wants to create us. We don't get to really have that much say in the matter. The created thing never guides the creator. The created thing is always guided by what creates them. And the truth is, is if we, the created, begin to devalue ourselves when we talk down about ourselves, when we begin to say that we're not worth anything, when we begin to say these things, we're actually insulting our creator because he is a master craftsman. And the truth is, is that we're all the workmanship of God, and we're the workmanship of God in Christ. After the fall, we were, man was broken. All, we're all born broken. Man is fundamentally flawed, but in Jesus, God has restored us to the position that we were when, when, that Adam was in when he was created. How many know that God didn't make a mistake with Adam? And that's where we've been restored now. But as his workmanship, the truth is, is that we need to be molded and shaped a little bit. When we get saved, we are supernaturally changed, and in an instant, we are made brand new. We are perfect before God. But the truth is, sometimes our outer man needs to be shaped a little bit to fit what just has happened with our inner man. Can you imagine if you were Michelangelo and you were looking at that block of stone before David emerged from that as, as a statue, the statue of David. Michelangelo could see what was there already. He didn't just go in willy-nilly. He didn't just go in and just like, man, if I just hit it hard enough, maybe something awesome will pop out of it. But he already saw what was in there. And the truth is, is that God already sees what's inside of you as well. And sometimes we just have to let him chisel, chisel away the bits that aren't Jesus. And begin to mold us and shape us into what he has designed and created us to be. Amen? So some things we need to know about being God's workmanship. One, in Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. and the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I don't know if you guys understand how amazing it is that we are actually created in the image of God. Can you imagine the honor that that really is, the privilege that we have to be created in the image of God, that we're to look like Him? And I don't mean physically look like Him. The truth is, is that when it says we're made in His image, that means that, that we're created to have the same characteristics that He has. That means that we're supposed to love. That means that we're supposed to forgive. And the, 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 these, these intrinsic natures, natures of God is what he has imparted in us. We're supposed to be like him, look like him in those ways. And it's an, it's an, it's an unimaginable privilege to say that we are made in his image. But you know that there is no other creature on earth that can claim that they're made in the image of God. Dogs can't claim that they're made in the image of God. Dogs and cats 
Any animal that walks around, none of them can claim that they're made in the image of God. Demons can't claim that they're made in the image of God. Angels can't claim that they're made in the image of God. We are unique saying and understanding and saying that we are made in the image of God. It doesn't matter how intelligent an animal seems. Truth is, I've met some animals that seem to be more intelligent than some people that I've met. But it doesn't matter how intelligent they are, how gifted these animals are, they're still not made in His image. And the truth is, we are special because of that. We are unique because of that. There's a reason that, that a human life is more valuable than any other kind of life on this planet. It's because we are unique and that we are made in God's image. And we were singled out by God of all of creation, we were singled out by God to have His life placed inside of us. He gave us a mind, will, emotions, a body, but He also gave us His life, His spirit to live inside of us. And the truth is, is God thought there was something special about us. He actually trusted us. Did you know that, that God trusts, entrusted mankind to have dominion over all the earth? Genesis 1.28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is not the charge that would be given to something that is worthless, something that has no value. But God, one, considered us to have value. One, he, he gave us a position of authority and he, he, this is something that is entirely unique about humans. And sometimes I think that we take that for granted. We don't even recognize the privilege that has been bestowed upon us by God. God has confidence in us. Did you ever think about that? God has confidence in you. And then when man was created in his image, we were created perfect, pure and holy. When Adam was created, he was perfect. When Eve was created, she was perfect. She was pure. She was holy. She was righteous. She could spend, and we know these things because they would spend time in the presence of God with no issues. But they were perfect. They were, they were, God, they were created just as God intended them. And before the fall, that's how they were. And it's true that in many ways, Fallen man is lost in a lot of the characteristics of God that we should have. As sin has came in and corrupted man, that's where Jesus came in to restore all those things to us. So if you are in Jesus Christ, if you were born again, you are once again just as God intended you to be, perfect, pure, and holy. Jesus restored you to the nature that you were created to be in, rooted in Jesus and that's where our identity should always be found. When we look at who we are, our worth, our value, we should understand that we are God's workmanship and we are as He intended us to be. It should be how we identify ourselves. This is a story that I was reading when we were, I put this message together. It says, if you ask a typical man, how is it going? He will talk to you about work. But if you ask a typical woman the same question, she will talk about her family. Why is that? In his book, Reigniting Love and Passion, 24 Marital Checkpoints, Guy Greenfield, the director of the Family Growth Center in Hereford, Texas, wrote, in, America, in American culture, the self-image of a man is more related to his work 
position while a woman's self-image is more often based on relationships. Too bad men and women alike would benefit greatly if their self-image was based upon their position in Christ instead of their value as workers or nurturers. All of our values should be derived because of who we are in Christ, because of who he has made us to be. Amen. And he always had a plan for you. He knew you before you were born. In Psalm 139, 1-6, it says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind me and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, and I cannot attain it and that's not the verse that i wanted i actually wanted 13 through 16 apparently i just missed a whole section that's still a good verse though amen it actually still almost fits i can almost work with it let's read psalm 139 13 through 16 because it's the one i was looking for for you formed my inward parts you knitted me together in my mother's womb I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret and intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, and your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of me. Actually, the truth is, is the psalmist is just continuing on the thoughts that he starts with in the beginning of this psalm. But the reality is, when we talk about this, is God was day, God was day, God was there the day that you were born. God had an active involvement in it. He knew who you were before you were put together, before you were woven together. In verse 13, he says the word, it says the words you were knitted together. And in verse 15, he uses the word woven and it's pretty incredible because when you think about these words, they indicate design. A woven garment, a, knit, a knitted garment has never just happened on accident. Somebody always had to create it. Somebody had to put it together. And, and that's what's indicated in these verses is that you were woven and knitted together it's because God had an active uh, involvement in your creation and you coming together. You were created uniquely and individually with a purpose for your life, with specific design and specific calls on your life. You weren't made to just sit in a chair on Sunday morning, but God has plans for you, something that he wants to do to you and through you. The psalmist also gave some appreciation to this, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made refers to the miracle of childbirth as well as the plan and purpose for your life the reality is is that uh, you're not just another one on the assembly line you're not just like somebody else the only thing differentiating you is a serial number but you were actually created uniquely and you've been created unique for a purpose and the days of your life have already been written by god God knows you. He knows what you were going to do, and he has a plan for you before you were ever born. He's seen your life. He has plan and direction for it. And I don't know if you, if you take just a moment to think about that. The God that created everything was intricately involved in your life and the creation of who you are and the plan and purpose for your life. He sees you individually. 
This isn't the only time that it's mentioned in the scriptures as well about God having uh, an active involvement in your life. In Galatians 1, 15 through 16, uh, it says, But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. This is Paul saying that, that it was him who set me apart before I was born. Paul, who was a, a, a Pharisee, who was the top of the top in that profession and just completely going the wrong way in the beginning. And God still had a plan and purpose for his life. And he was able to turn it around because God knew what he would do and he was actually created for that purpose. And Paul says, he knew that before I was born. He had that set in motion. And in Jeremiah 1.5, it says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. This idea of God knowing who we are and, and already having a plan for us before we were born and also him being actively involved in knitting us or, or forming us or creating us in the womb is well established in Scripture in multiple places. You have a purpose. God created you specifically and individually and you have value. The truth is, is this is why abortion is such an abhorrent act. No matter how that baby was created, that person was formed by God with a specific purpose and plan for their life. That's why as Christians, I don't think that there's an alternative but to be pro-life. Because every single person was created by God. They are valuable and special, just like you. And your intrinsic value and that specialness that we were just talking about, it doesn't have anything to do with how you look or any of those things. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. This is when David's brothers were all being paraded before Elijah to see which one would be king. You remember Elijah comes to the family and says, one of your sons is going to be king. They send out all the sons and not a single one of them is David because they left him out in the field. He didn't count. He's a son, but apparently they looked at his appearance and made their own judgment. And so there's no way that the youngest son of my household, this, this skinny runt over here is going to be king. So they just sent the other sons and, and the first son that came out was, uh, Eliab or Eliab. Eliab? That sounds better. Eliab, we'll go with that. And he was dreamy. He was tall. I mean, that's what he says here. He says, look, my, my pointer doesn't work. But it says, the appearance, he says, don't look on his appearance. So apparently, this is a good looking dude. And God says, don't just look at his appearance. Or the height of his stature, apparently if you are tall and good looking, that better positions you to be in leadership. People thought that maybe that you would be a better leader or because of that, because uh, you looked like this, maybe people were more apt to listen to you. But, but God tells Elijah, don't just look at his appearance. That's how men look at people. But God looks at them different. God doesn't when he looks at us, he doesn't look at our deeds. He doesn't look at how tall or, or short we are, or what kind of job we have, or, or who our friends are. He doesn't look at those things. He looks at your heart. 
If you love God and your heart is directed towards Him, then God can and will use you and use you in a powerful and mighty way. David was just handsome, is what the other scriptures say. He was, he was handsome, but he wasn't tall and having this, this, this imposing appearance like his brother did, but God used him in spite of that because God cared about his heart. David was known as a man after God's own heart. And there are so many other examples in the Bible that talk about people that don't look like they fit the bill, but the truth is God used them in mighty ways. One of my favorite is reading about Gideon. And I think I like reading about Gideon because, man, nothing was going right for that boy. <laughs> I mean, if you think about what's going on, um, this guy is, is hiding in a wine press, threshing out the lentils, I think. He's, he's, he's threshing out lentils in a wine press, and you're like, well, that, that doesn't seem right, but how is that such a bad situation? Well, what are you supposed to do in wine presses? Yeah, press wine. Why do you suppose he was in there with the lentils? He was afraid. He was hiding. So we got this guy who's afraid. He's hiding, just trying to get enough food to get by for his family or whatnot. And, uh, and, and you can read about this in Judges 6. But God comes up to him and says that uh, he is a mighty man of valor. He's cowering in the wine press, you know, peeking up to make sure there's no Philistines coming. And God says, hey, you mighty man of valor. That doesn't make any sense. But it's because we look at what's happening and we see it as men would, as this, this person that's a coward hiding in the wine press, but God sees who he is. He sees his heart. I wasn't the Philistines, it was the Midianites he was hiding from. And God calls him a mighty man of valor. Because God doesn't see us as the world sees us. And the truth is, is how many of us have been doing the same things that Gideon is doing in this story? You know, what, what Gideon says to, to God is he says, Lord, how can I save Israel? He says, my clan is the weakest, and I am the least in my father's house. So it's like, man, I got it. Everything stacked against me. Not only am I in the weakest clan of the whole place, I'm the weakest in the weakest clan. I'm the lowest. And God says, no. I see something different in you. You are a mighty man of valor. And we do the, the very same thing. How many of us have told God what we are qualif not qualified to do? What we will and won't do because we don't feel like we're qualified or we don't feel like we're good enough? All the time I think that we do that. We begin to ask, how well do you really know me if you want me to do that thing? I used to have an argument with God every time that he asked me to pray for somebody or to witness to somebody because I was so embarrassed to do it. I, I lived in fear. You know, I was just like Midian in the, in the wine press. I was afraid, and God said, no, you can do it. I'm like, no, I can't because I don't know. I thought, and, and I'll be honest with you, still to this day, like when I go, when we would do, uh, when I go to talk to somebody about Jesus, I mean, stuff's running through my head. I'm, I'm terrified. Like, what's going to happen? What if they yell at me? What if they cuss at me? What if they, they, you know, they push me into the street? Like, I don't know what it is. And none of that stuff ever happens. Not once has anything. The worst I've ever had somebody say is, is I'm not interested. Never has anything, but that's what still runs through my head. And, and I finally had to get over that and just begin to trust God. Or what about 
you know, what if this was all just some ploy of the enemy for me to be embarrassed? That devil's trying to trick me by getting me to tell somebody about Jesus. He just wants me to be embarrassed in front of all these other people. Well, I can promise you the devil isn't going to ask you to tell anybody about Jesus. If, if you feel like something on your heart telling you to go to minister to somebody, to share the gospel with somebody, it's not the devil trying to trick you into it because that's not what he wants. But the reality is, is that every time that we argue with God and begin to tell him why we can't do something when he's already told us that we could, we're actually arguing with our creator and we're insulting his ability to create. Because if God says you can do something, you can. What about Moses? Moses is another one. Exodus 4, 10 through 12 says, But Moses said to the Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. Isn't that interesting? Look, listen, Lord, I was never elegant, and even after you spoke to me, nothing changed. Still not eloquent in speech. He says, But actually I'm slow of speech, end of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes a mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. You know, what's interesting about this is that he ends up complaining some more. And God says, fine, I'll send Aaron. Aaron will go with you. Aaron will speak for you. What if Moses would have just said, okay, Lord, I bet you Moses would have been eloquent of speech afterwards. If he would have just listened to God I bet all of his issues would have went away. God basically told him, like, listen, you know who you're talking to? Is it not I that caused all these things to happen? I can make you talk just fine. But Moses is like, but you don't understand, God. Basically, that's the argument that we're having every time we tell God we can't do something. But you don't understand, God. Can you, can you imagine the, the amount of ego you have to have to tell God that he doesn't understand? But that's what's, that's what's happening here. And that's what Moses basically says. And we laugh about it. We read the stories, but the, 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 if I'm honest, I look at my life, I do it all the time. So many times I've told God I wouldn't do something. Told God I wouldn't be a pastor. I could never be a pastor. Told God I could never do a home church. Both of those things, God says, yes, you can and you will. And I fought with God for a little while on both of those and finally said yes. And, and God has done amazing things. But I can't laugh too hard at these people when I read this because we have hindsight and say, man, just go for it. We already know what's going to happen, but they didn't know what was going to happen. But the truth is, is that God has created you for a purpose, and if he's created you for that purpose, he's going to make it work out. But every time that we tell God that we can't do something because we can't dance, we can't sing, we can't pray, we can't speak, we can't teach, whatever is these things that you're telling God that you can't do, you might be missing out on opportunities that God has for your life. You might be missing out, and even worse, not only will you be missing out, but there are other people that are going to miss out on what God wanted for them because you weren't obedient for what God wanted you to do in your life. You know, one of the things that kind of terrifies me is, is what if there was somebody I was supposed to speak to about Jesus and they never heard because I didn't say yes? And they spent an attorney separated from God because I was afraid or because I was stubborn or because I was telling God, well, you don't understand, God. It's just too hard for me to do these things. Now, I always hope and pray that any of those times that I have done that, that God has made another way because I would hate to be the one responsible for that. But it is terrifying 
to know that just because I don't value myself the way that God does, that somebody else could be impacted. But I want to encourage you that the only thing that can limit your ability to be used by God is leaning on your own abilities and understandings. If you put your trust in Him, God will make a way. And just like in Luke one thirty-seven, it says, for nothing will be impossible with God. This isn't talking about your next bench press. This is talking about the next thing God wants you to do for His kingdom and His life, for you to be able to withstand the storms that are coming your way. It's all about serving Him. And if you will put your trust in Him, nothing will be impossible for you. Amen? And Isaiah 45, 9-10, it says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, What are you making? Or your work has no handles? Woe to him who says to a father, What are you begetting? Or to a woman, With what are you in labor? I always laugh when I read this passage. Because in my mind, these are the kind of things that would happen in a cartoon, right? Can you imagine a, Dis- a Disney cartoon? We got the, 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 the potter, and he's, he's, he's getting ready to work the clay. He's getting ready to spin, and the clay just turns around like, hey, what are you doing? I didn't want to look like this. That, that's how I imagine these things in my head, because they're just silly. But that's exactly what he's asking. Woe to him who strives with him who formed him. A pot among earthen pots, does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or the silliness of the last two, woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? These are supposed to be humorous questions, I think. Like, what are you begetting? What are you in labor with? Well, we all know it's a baby. You don't have to ask the question. It's not like a bowling ball is going to pop out. I once read a guy who said this. He says, I love the term expecting when we talk about pregnancy. It gives the impression of more than one outcome. (laughs) Like, we're expecting a baby, but it could be a velociraptor. (laughs) That's, That's the silliness of these questions. What are you begetting? But the thing is, we think they're silly, right? We laugh. I look at this and I think they're silly, but that's actually not what the word says. It says, my clicker, I'm so used to having a pointer. It says, woe to him who strives. Woe to him who says to the Father. The reality is, is it's not in our best interest to question God with what he wants to do to us. Not because he's going to smite you. Not because he's going to come and, and smack you across the kneecaps with a big bat if you, if you question him. But the reality is it's because what we could miss out on what God intends for us to have, what God intends for our life. And then we'll end here in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing, not a result of works, so that no one may be boast. No one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Guys, you've been created by God. You weren't just an accident. It wasn't just happenstance. It wasn't just the perfect storm of primordial soup that somehow life could spring from nothing. But you were created with a purpose, with a plan. And not only that, you are His workmanship. The master work, the masterpiece of the greatest artist that ever was.
And we're, when you get saved by faith in that moment, you recognize that you are fearfully and wonderfully remade into the image of Jesus Christ. You are to look like him, perfect. And we're created for a purpose. Like it says here, created in Christ Jesus for good works. God has a plan for your life. It's not just to sit idly by. It's not to let everything go by. But God has something that he created you to do. But in order to do so, I think just like that giant marble rock or just like that piece of clay, we have to let him mold us and shape us. We have to let him chisel away all the pieces that aren't Jesus. Amen? Amen. Well, let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.